Fox sports analyst, Mike Yuvo. Thanks for coming, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. Um, so we, we went back and forth on social media uh, the past few days, and I saw that you're from the same area of, um, of Massachusetts as I am. Um, where exactly are you from? I'm from 20 minutes north of Boston. I'm from Peabody, but the rest of the country calls it Peabody. And if anyone knows historic Salem, where all the witch trials took place, it's the city right next to it. So a little, I say little, um, it's, 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 it's a bigger city out that way, but it's kind of right on the, the water. Uh, like I said, just north of Boston. So you get all the same backlash when you say uh, the Boston slang, like clicker, wicked, packy. Yeah, I mean, I look, I've, I've worked on fading my Boston accent, but at the same time, too, there's certain words that I incorporate into my sports cast. I know people that have watched me over the last four and a half years know that when I sign off, I always say the word clicker, you know, don't touch that clicker, which actually originated when I was in Mississippi. Then uh, the former Mississippi State head football coach, now Florida coach, Dan Mullen, he's a New Englander, his high school basketball, football and track coach was my assistant football coach in high school. So Dan and I kind of hit it off when I was there and he actually came up with the idea and it's, it's stuck, uh, you know, ever, ever since I left Mississippi. Um, so how did you end up, uh, what was your path to end up in Columbia? I saw on your Twitter feed, your background is U.S. Fenway Park. Um, how'd you end up in Mississippi and how'd you end up in uh, Columbia? Yeah, I mean, I started a TV show from scratch when I was in college. I was a division two football player, so I didn't have the opportunities to go do a, uh, an internship or I didn't go to a broadcasting school in general. So a lot of the opportunities I had, I created and I just reached out to some tremendous people in the Boston area, uh, whether they were writers, whether they were TV people. And I kind of created my own internship in terms of just shutting up and listening to them. And the first job I got out of college was working at ESPN Boston High School, covering high school football and in college as well. And from there, I was able to get my first full-time TV job in Greenville, Mississippi, which I want to say it's about the five-year uh, or, or six-year anniversary of me landing that job around that time, uh, you know, six years ago. So worked down there for about a year and a half. And then the former lead sports anchor, Corey Miller, former Gamecock football player, NFL player, he had an opportunity to cross paths with me around 2014. We ran into each other again in uh, 2015 and then 2016 at that same celebrity golf tournament in, in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, Greenville, Mississippi, uh, that I'm covering. He was one of the celebrities there, and uh, he was able to get me an interview over at Watch Fox, and uh, the rest is history. Um, so I see in the, your background that you went to uh, Assumption College for school? Mm -hmm. Assumption College, I think it changed about a year ago, so it's now Assumption University. So we went from ASCO to ASU now. Um, so yes, what, what, that school, like a few thousand at tops? Oh man, like 2,200 undergrads. It's a very, very small school. Um, so I have a brother that goes to uh, Plymouth state up in New Hampshire. And I remember mm -hmm. I was visiting him when I was in high school and that school is maybe three, 4,000 tops. And I remember visiting and seeing like the whole college experience. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then a few years later and coming down to South Carolina and it's a completely <laughs> different world. Um, so being from the New England small school area, then coming down and reporting on Columbia, South Carolina, is there any differences that you noticed um, like when it comes to like the whole town atmosphere around the school or just the passion that goes into South Carolina yeah. sports? No, absolutely. And I, and I don't even think it's necessarily a Division II thing uh, because I had the opportunity when I was in Mississippi to cover Delta State, which is a Division II program, and they have, you know, tremendous athletics over there. And they, they treat it you know, as if it's, uh, you know, like, like a big time SEC school in terms of their baseball, football, basketball, uh, you go out there, the tailgating's huge. So I think it's more so, you know, 
one, the part of the region, the part of the country that you're in and the region that you're in. Uh, but number two, I mean, if you go obviously to an SEC school, um, and whether you're a student or you're covering it, I mean, it's going to be obviously much, much bigger. So I think having the opportunity to, to cover football down here in particular, but obviously cover the other sports, basketball, baseball, soccer, volleyball, keep going down the list, uh, being able to be down here and then just the fact that our station is practically on the campus of a big-time college, you get to experience it every day. Maybe a little bit too much sometimes uh, when you're trying to drive to class and you got to go through all the, all the traffic of, of – people crossing the streets, but, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a cool experience. And I think being able to witness SEC sports up close is something that I've always dreamed of. Um, obviously never having the opportunity to, you know, have played in the SEC or get to experience the student life of it. It's pretty cool to be able to experience it now from a reporter standpoint. Yeah. You probably know, like up in new England, up in the Boston area, unless BC hockey is in the national championship or UMass somehow, mm -hmm can win one football game, no one cares at all. It's unless no. you went to the schools, it's completely different coming down here where you'll have people who never even went to South Carolina or never went to Clemson or never went to any of these SEC schools. It's what they grow up on. It's kind of like being a Pats fan or a Celtics fan for them. Yeah, I mean, it's um, a pro market. It's a pro market town up there. And in addition to that, I mean, you know, you mentioned Clemson. Clemson to me, and I know this is going to upset a lot of Gamecock fans or just SEC people, I view Clemson as kind of an SEC program, you know, the fact they're down in this area, you know, because I look at the ACC, Clemson in comparison to what they do from a tailgating standpoint compared to what Boston College does is night and day. And like you said, I mean, unless – even if they go to the national championship, it, it feels like it's kind of like, I don't know, I and mean, it's, 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 like, it's like a fart in the wind. No one really cares, you know. Uh, I think the only time really people care about college sports up there, and you'll know what I'm talking about, but people down here won't, is the Bean Pot, you know, which is the first oh, yeah. Mondays in February. It's a four-team tournament between Boston College, Boston University, Harvard, and Northeastern, and it's a uh, one-game uh, elimination hockey tournament. And that is very, very big in Boston. But outside of that, I mean, college sports, it just gets overshadowed by the pros, even when – uh. Matt Ryan and Luke Keekley, those Boston college teams, how great they did. They were competing up against the year the Patriots went 16-0. and The Red Sox won the World Series. The Celtics had the big three. I mean, it's just tough to be able to be in the spotlight the way you are down here just because down here you're not, you're not competing the same way against professional teams, especially when you're in a state like South Carolina and there's no uh, professional teams. Uh, so on the topic of sports, I saw a few days ago that you uh, – on your new podcast uh, – that you uh, interviewed uh, the new coach, Shane Beamer. Um, what was that like? What are your first impressions of him? And do you notice any differences between, like, the Muschamp era and the now new Shane Beamer area? Because from a student's perspective, and, like, I'm looking at the Twitter account that all, like, the hype videos they're making, there seems to be a lot more optimism, a lot more energy, I feel like. What do you think? I think the thing with Shane is what you see is what you get. And I think, you know, that's not to say Muschamp wasn't a what you see is what you get kind of guy, but Muschamp was cut from the Nick Saban cloth. And that happens a lot with a lot of former Nick Saban assistants where they try to replicate what Saban has done in terms of the personality, in terms of setting the tone. And that's, you know, that's not a bad thing, but at the same time too, you got to realize that you're, you're not Nick Saban. No one's Nick Saban for that matter. But I think Muschamp really struggled to realize that, you know, having those walls up and being as guarded as he was, it really made things difficult for people on the outside to show that additional support. And I just remember some of the smaller things in terms of, you know, how, well, how's that going to help our program? You know, like just little things like on the outside, 
um, looking in. And I think, you know, when I first got here, I, I, I agreed with him on a lot of things. But I think now seeing the approach that Beamer has had, I think is just totally different. And I think what that shows more than anything, especially in a situation that South Carolina is in, because here's the reality, right? You're not Alabama. You're not Ohio State. You're not Clemson right now. You're South Carolina. You have to build something uh, special right now. You have to do it organically. You can't try to replicate what other programs have done, even though in some degree you're going to take bits and parts and try to make it your own. I think Muschamp failed to do that. And I think, you know, with Beamer right now, the situation that he's in, it is tough. Um, you're going to have to rebuild a program that obviously took a nosedive these last couple of years. You're going to have to be able to put a staff together, which he has, uh, but it's kind of been like a 180 in terms of the number of coaches he's brought in. And you got to have players that buy into the system. So everything right now, it's the honeymoon phase. Everything's good. But until we get to the fall, until we start seeing wins and losses, then we'll really be able to, to, to judge Beamer a little bit more. But I think in terms of just – building the foundation in the way that Beamer does it, he is, he is as authentic as they come. And like I said, in terms of what you see is what you get, the way that he is to the media is the way that he is behind uh, the doors. And, you know, from talking to everyone that, that I've had a chance to speak to over at USC, that wasn't the case with Muschamp. It was just different. And some coaches are like that, you know, there's no right and wrong, but I think sometimes too, you need to be honest with yourself um, and just realize, like, look, you know, I, I, I'm not saving. I'm not this. I'm not that. It's okay to be yourself. And I think, you know, if he had let his, you know, his hair down a little bit, I think people would have supported him a little bit more. And I think that would have replicated – I think would, that would have translated uh, to the success of the program because it's not just wins and losses on, on Saturdays. You need to be able to build a support system. You need to be able to have the former players, which Beamer's doing right now, come back and support you. And that just wasn't the case with Muschamp. Um, that's uh, what you said about uh, Muschamp trying to act like Saban and everyone that comes out of the Saban camp acts like him. That sounds almost identical to what you hear on the sports up, up in uh, Mass, where people like talk about Belichick and the coaches that have come out of history, like the uh, Matt Patricia's, the Josh McDaniels, the Bill O'Briens. It's almost like uh, very similar to what you hear with uh, the Saban, which I think is hilarious or really funny to hear. Yeah, and, and um, look. And look, and it happens. It happens. At the end of the day, you're, ne you're never going to be a guy like Belichick. You're never going to be a guy like Saban. And I think the people that have been successful in the coaching world, they realize that. But they also realize that you can still take things away, but you, you can't do things the exact same way. And if you do, it takes time. I mean, it just takes time. Saban, think about, think about how old Saban is right now in terms of when his career really started to take off. It takes time. I mean, he worked with Belichick in Cleveland in the 90s. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, so switching to basketball, I'm not sure when we're, I'm going to post this or when it's going to be revealed, but right now Frank Martin is still technically on the team, I think. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it's funny you say that. I keep Every time I get like a text message or a notification, I keep looking down at my phone because I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. So as of this interview, 11:23 on Wednesday, March 17th, um, there's nothing yet, but that's probably no one our luck in, in, in the media world. As soon as you, uh, record something, it changes the next, uh, the next hour. I think, you know, I said this at the beginning of the week that I felt the longer this dragged on this week, which as of yesterday, I was told it could go all the way into Friday. Um, the longer this drags out, it could be good for Frank, but at the same time too, what it could be doing is uh, it could be kind of, you know, setting up the 
the, the restructure of the contract for the buyout. So, you know, it's, it's tough. I'll tell you right now, I've talked to a lot of people that are close with the program these last couple of days. And I've talked to a lot of uh, my colleagues, you know, other reporters at other, at other uh, outlets. And we're all hearing the same thing, which is this could go either way. And I think people um, don't want to necessarily hear that. They want to be able to hear something like definitive. Okay. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? But the bottom line is this, it comes down to Frank uh, not being bullheaded with it. And he's got to be open to the idea of what South Carolina is trying to do. I understand where Frank's coming from. I totally understand that you want to be able to have that security. You want to be able to have um, the opportunity to tell recruits here, I'm going to be here more, more, for more than one year when it comes from a recruiting standpoint. But from the other side, I can see where USC is coming from, which is, hey, look, you know, we're not going to give you extension right now. We also want to put ourselves in a situation where if we do want to move on from you, you know, we, we have a buyout that we have to give you. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's just like anything in the business world. Everyone's going to want to have the upper hand. And I think at the end of the day, USC ultimately is the ones that control the cards and they're the one that has the upper hand. And I think what it comes down to is, is Frank willing to give up a little bit of what he wants to get. And if he does that, what will that look like in return? You know, South Carolina could say, hey, Frank, you want a two-year extension? Good. Here's two years. But now we're dropping that bio from $5 million to $2 million or $1 million. You know, so it kind of puts Frank in a tough spot because at the end of the day, yeah, on paper you have more years on your contract. But really, it comes down to just being a one-year deal. And I think that's what USC wants. If Frank's back, it's essentially going to be a one-year deal. And if you can't get it done next year, we're going to move on from you. So, And I've said it from day one um, throughout this whole COVID situation. I think Frank should get a pass for this year. You know, COVID twice this year. Team missed about a month, 28 days. Uh, your big man, you know, uh, one of your best big men out for the year. No other Power 5 team experienced anything like that. And if there's going to be energy about let's move, uh, move on from Frank, where was this at the end of last season? Why is this now? I just can't judge a man based on this season, especially after everything they've been through. Um, so I keep making, like, Boston comparisons because you and I both have the same experience yeah. with that. I forget who the manager for the Sox was in, like, 2013. But I remember, like, a few years after where it, we weren't getting the wins, we weren't getting the production we needed it seemed like they were kind of holding on just based off the 2013 championship. Mm -hmm. Do you think Frank is still kind of living off of 2017 in a certain aspect? Yes and no. I mean, I think, put it this way, if – and it was Farrell, by, by the way. Oh, uh, it did. Ah, uh, for the Red Sox. If, if Frank didn't make it to the Final Four – I mean, Frank had no tournament appearances. I think he's done. I think he's done. But the reality is – not only does he have a tournament appearance, he should have two. They got hosed in 2015. Not only do they have a tournament appearance, but they went to the Final Four, which, you know, when you're in the tournament, anything can happen. But the fact that you've made it that far, something that no one else in this state has been able to do, something that when you look at from a historical standpoint for South Carolina, they've made the tournament five times since 1975. Five times. Frank Martin has the same amount of wins than any other coach combined in, in, that, in that span uh, of, of tournament wins. So I think it's funny when people say, oh, Frank hasn't made it to the tournament. Is the barometer just to make it to the tournament? Yeah, I understand. You know, who doesn't want the excitement? But not only has Frank made it there, he's made it deep. And I think what people need to realize is there's nothing wrong with wanting to raise the bar. 
in terms of where you are mediocrity. I get that. But at the same time, too, you have to realize who you are. You're not Duke. You're not North Carolina. Like I was saying with football, right? You're not Duke. You're not North Carolina. You're not one of these blue bloods in basketball. You're just not. I'm sorry. That's just the reality of it, especially in this region of the country when you have to compete against those schools for recruiting. But with that being said, there's nothing wrong with wanting to take things to the next level. And I think where Frank has, you know, kind of run out of gas a little bit in, in terms of uh, that buzz from that Final Four year, it's getting to that point. But like I said before, I don't think that this is the year you pull the plug. Um, I think you give it one more shot. And if it just isn't, you're not able to see, physically see the improvements on the court from a win-loss standpoint, then, then yeah, you're going to have to pull the plug at some point. But it's just like, I don't, I don't think people really, really recognize the fact that South Carolina historically, especially after Frank McGuire, like I mentioned, that, that, that uh, almost, what, 50 years of uh, 50 seasons, and you've only made the tournament five times. Frank has the same amount of wins than anyone else in the tournament in comparison over that time period, which is just insane. But that's just what USC basketball has been. And I just don't know what people want. You're not going to have Coach K walking in the door. Sorry, you're not going to have like a Steve Spurrier situation where you have this great coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time, just walk in and kind of do a retirement tour in South Carolina. It's just not going to happen. Uh, who do you have in your bracket right now, winning it all, or at least one of your brackets? I haven't. I'm in a, I'm in a different type of pool. Um, so, I, I mean, it's – so I'm not picking necessarily the games, if that makes sense. Um, God, I think the thing with this year's tournament is – it's it goes much further than who's the better team. You know, Don Staley was talking about it with the women's uh, tournament. Think of all the downtime these student athletes are going to have, especially if they're winning. You know, they could, all they're going to be able to do is go to practice and stay in their hotel room. I mean, that's all they're going to be able to do. So it comes down to which team is going to be mentally strong. Um, and I think, you know, if you go down the list of some of these teams that have tremendous senior leaders, um, I think those are the teams that are going to be able to find ways to get it done. So, uh, look, yeah, Gonzaga is going into the tournament. They're hot. I know a lot of people are riding the Gonzaga bandwagon, and they've historically been a good program over the last couple of years, but they've never been able to get it done. I'm not sold on Gonzaga. So throw Gonzaga out the window. Um, yeah, I've seen Baylor in there too. I mean – like I said, this year's tournament, I'm not going to be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if we have no number ones in the final four. I mean, that's just how funky this year could be. Um, and uh, what I'm basing that on is, like I said, this is much further than just what happens on the court. It's going to be the toll uh, that, that players are taking once this tournament rolls on. So um, I expect a lot of upsets this year. I truly do. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see – uh, some type of Cinderella make, make their way down to the final four this year. I don't know what seed number that is. And I know that's really not too far of a stretch. It's just like, okay, they, they, you know, Cinderella has happened, but I think this year we could really see some, uh, some crazy things in the tournament. So that, that is the uh, politician answer, which is I'm not really giving you an answer, but uh, I just expect a lot of fireworks this weekend. And do you think the women are going to uh, run the table or what? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think the thing with South Carolina is, the challenging part outside of, like I mentioned before, they need to be able to be mentally strong as the tournament just goes on. What it comes down to for them is they have to limit the turnovers, uh, especially at the guard play. It all starts with Zaya Cook and Destiny Henderson. 
But on top of that, they need to be able to finish down low. And Alea Boston, I'm putting a lot of the, the onus on her just because we need to see her continue to, to you know, flick that uh, switch. She needs to turn into that aggressive, um, you know, son of a gun down in the paint that kind of Asia Wilson was, you know, off the court, you know, sweet and smiley and giggly, making all the jokes. But when Asia got on the court, especially that sophomore year, that's when we started to really see her flick that switch. Um, she became very aggressive on the court and she just became, you know, she's got, she just had this, this killer instinct in her. We need to see that from Boston. And I think we're slowly seeing that, but she has a tremendous opportunity now to do that, knowing that Lily Grissett is not going to be playing in the first game. Um, and who knows how long she could be out for. So um, and, and in addition to that too, you need people like Victoria Saxton. You need someone like Destiny Henderson. You need some of these, these juniors to step up, step up because your only senior on the court is going to be hurt for that first game. And like I said, we, we, we might not see Lily for quite some time, depending on how much that injury lingers. So you need that, those juniors to really step up and the sophomores that are there, they're there. Um, even though it's going to be their first tournament game, because they didn't have a chance to play in the tournament last year, you need to uh, find a way to grow quickly. Uh, you need to be able to show that even though you are going to be rookies in the tournament uh, because you didn't have a chance to play in last year's one, you need to find a way not to let the spotlight get too big for you. And I think one of the things that can help South Carolina is the fact that you're playing in front of nobody, really. I mean, you're going to be playing in front of limited crowds, especially the first two games, um, you know, all tournament, but especially the first two games, that should be able to help you, you know, just breathe a little bit more. So I think when it comes down to is um, obviously limiting the turnovers, finding ways to finish in, in the paint, but just being mentally tough, not letting the spotlight be too big for you and just handling whatever you have to do off the court. So you just don't get this cabin fever kind of feel where it's just like, Oh man, I'm just trapped in this room and I just go to practice and I kind of feel like a walking zombie, which every team is going to have to experience, but which team is going to have that maturity to be able to go through that. I think South Carolina needs to find a way, a young team needs to find a way to be mature and, uh, and go through this tournament. Um, before I let you go, I do need to ask about some fast food. Um, you know, from like you're in my area, there's pretty much nothing but like Dunkin' Donuts in every town and maybe a McDonald's here and there. Um, so I got to ask about the Bojangles and the Yuva. How did that start? When did you re- – what was your first impressions of it? Because honestly, when I saw Bowberry Biscuit, Pimento Cheese, and Fried Chicken, I, I had my opinions on it. But what were your first impressions on it, and how did it take off? Yeah, so for anyone that have not, has not heard the story, Justin Sepp, the new wide receiver coach for USC, had a press conference about, I don't know, two months ago now. And uh, – he was talking about how excited he was to be back in the Columbia area, you know, a place where he grew up in. And he mentioned Zesto's, he mentioned Bojangles, he mentioning all these Columbia restaurants. And I understand Bojangles is kind of scattered across the, um, the, the Southeast region. I get that. Um, but at the same time too, he really liked that, likes Bojangles and where he was out in Arkansas, he just, I guess, didn't have an opportunity to be able to get it as much. And, uh, Maybe he thinks the sweet tea is a little bit better here in South Carolina at the Bojangles. But point being is he kept mentioning Bojangles, Bojangles. And I'm just like, you know, I've been to Bojangles maybe four or five times since I've been down here in, in four and a half years. And I said, let's go to Bojangles for lunch today. And uh, I did. And Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central, he just happened to be in the line at the same time that I was. So we were having some fun with it, like, you know, tweeting out pictures, like, you know, you know Justin Stepp, phenomenal recruiter. He already has two of us in line. 
And when I got the, the biscuit, which was supposed to be just a Cajun filet with pimento cheese, when I got back to my station and I opened it up, that's what it was, but it was on a Bowberry biscuit. And the only reason why this thing took off is because I tweeted a picture about it because of the whole Justin set thing. We were having fun with it. Colin and I were having fun. So um, if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't have tweeted a picture out about it. And when I did, instantly people are like, well, well, how was it? And I wasn't going to eat it at first. I'm like, that thing just looks nasty. Pimento, like a bowberry biscuit, pimento. No, that sounds, mm-mm. People, I, I kind of felt like I was a wimp, though, if I didn't eat it. Because everyone kept saying, well, how is it? How is it? And I ate it, and I said it was pretty good. And then the next thing I know, that was on a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, people were tweeting pictures at me saying, hey, I've tried this, this concoction. And it didn't have a name necessarily. And then people are calling it, you know, the Yuva or, you know, the Yuva. It was just, it was just, it was just, it was funny. And I kept just having fun with it. And um, that Thursday, I received a message um, from someone over at Bojangles saying, hey, think this thing might actually uh, turn into something. Stay tuned. And the next couple hours pass by. And then I see a professional photo of, um, professional photo shoot of this Bowberry biscuit uh, with pimento cheese on a cage. It was just unbelievable. And they just kept going from there. And there's been commercials. There's been signs throughout South Carolina at, at the Bojangles restaurant. So um, I've had, a, I've enjoyed it. I've had a lot of fun with it. I'd be lying to you if I didn't um, because it's just something I never thought in a million years, especially being the Northerner coming to the South and this being a Southern fast food chain um, that I'd ever have something named after me. Um, for like a biscuit or a sandwich. So it's been pretty cool uh, right now. And maybe, maybe I can get some help from people that are listening at home. They have this Bowberry, uh, excuse me, Bojangles biscuit tournament. So it's like March Madness, but there's 16 items. And currently right now we blew a huge lead. I don't know how we blew this lead, uh, but everything's being voted on on Twitter. We were up by a lot. We were up by like we had 65% to, to 35%. And uh, now we have fallen behind. So uh, we still have like three days to vote. So go vote. We'd like to make a deep run. We could be the Cinderella of the tournament because a lot of people outside of Columbia probably have no idea what this thing is. Um, and we'll see how deep of a run we can make in this uh, Bojangles biscuit tournament of March. All right. You heard him. Vote for the Yuva on uh, the Bojangles tournament. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, my God.